This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Grab your Bibles, turn to the book of Matthew, chapter number 6, if you would. Matthew 6 is where we'll be this morning. We were uh, in Matthew 6 last week. Uh, we took a look at magnifying Jesus through our giving. Uh, we're continuing with our theme for the new year entitled Magnify Jesus. If you missed any of the messages so far, you can always get caught up on our podcast at whoecala.org. Uh, we also have a smartphone app you can download to your phone or your tablet and stay caught up that way. Whatever you do, be sure to catch up on any messages you missed uh, so far this year. Also on Sunday nights, so last week we kicked off a brand new mini-series entitled Vanity on Sunday nights. Tonight, so tonight at 5 o'clock we'll go through a passage from Ecclesiastes and talk about how that applies to our life. Uh, really excited about tonight, the value of wisdom as we take a look at that at tonight at 5 o'clock. So uh, maybe if you're not able to make it on Sunday nights, you can get caught up on the podcast on our Sunday evening messages as well. The more you hear the Bible, the more you'll grow as a Christian. The more that you grow as a Christian, the more that you'll see your life begin to change and transform in every area of your life. And so I want to encourage you uh, to enjoy, learn from, crave Bible teaching and preaching. I know for sure that will help you. Matthew chapter 6, we're taking a look at uh, today, magnifying Jesus in our prayer. Uh, And so we're taking a look at prayer today. We find ourselves in the midst of what's referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. It's the longest recorded prayer. preaching that we ever have of Jesus Christ in all of the Bible. And so the longest uh, continuous message that Jesus gave, uh, we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. So much good truth here in this passage. Uh, Last week, we took a look at what he says about our giving and how we should lay up our treasure in heaven. Uh, Today, we're taking a look at what Jesus says about prayer. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to start in verse number, uh, let's do number 5. Matthew chapter 6, verse number 5. And when thou prayest... Thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, when thou hast shut the door, pray unto the Father which is in secret, and the Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. After this manner pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and power and glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I grew up in church my whole life, uh, really from before I was born. My mom had me in church, and from the day that I was born, uh, I was in church three times a week until I turned 18. Uh, And so... um, my parents kept me in church all the time. I was around church a lot. I heard a lot of people pray. I heard a lot of uh, prayers said, I guess you could say. Uh, my parents taught me at a young age to pray. Uh, our house wasn't necessarily a house of prayer because my par- parents were really first-generation Christians trying to figure out what it meant to even be a Christian. And so uh, we didn't pray a lot in my house unless somebody was sick or uh, we prayed before every meal and things along those lines. But uh, our house wasn't really a house of prayer uh, per se. I remember the church that we had on the church sign out front of the the church building uh, would always say on Wednesday night, 7 p.m. prayer meeting. Uh, It was called the prayer meeting, Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. But when Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, it was just kind of another preaching service. There wasn't really prayer that took place there uh, in any measure, you'd say. And so kind of confused about what exactly prayer meant to the Christian life. At 18 years old, I went to boot camp right out of high school, and uh, I remember my very first day of boot camp was uh, an eye-opening experience, I guess you could say. Uh, I grew up in public school. I grew up in uh, around um, in my dad's uh, body shop as a kid, and I thought I had heard every curse word under the sun, but when I got to boot camp, I found out there's curse words you've never even heard before, right? Uh, people say the, the most vile things you could ever possibly imagine, and, and uh, some of them were, most of them were said by our re- recruit division commanders or RDCs. Uh, I still remember their names 
names. I could see their face in my mind to this day. And I remember the names that I was called and other people were called and things along those lines. And I remember thinking to myself, wow, I've never been in such a vile, vile environment in my life. And mind you, I rode the bus to public school, so I thought I had heard it all. There were things I'd never even heard of before. Like, wow, that's crazy. And I remember the very first night, though, the, uh, our recruit division commander was a, was a bosun's mate. And if you know anything about bosun's mates, you know they're a rough crowd anyways. And so this is one of the guys who had been, you know, screaming, yelling the most vile profanities I'd heard in my entire life all day. And it came time for bed. They shut the lights out. Says, he says, all right, gentlemen, in your racks. We all get in our, get in our beds. And he goes, let's pray. What? <laughs> Did he just say, let's pray? Like, there's... Who or what is he going to pray to? I thought to myself, this guy cannot even be remotely Christian. And he says, our Father which art in heaven. And everybody chimed in with him. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. And I, at 18 years old, been in church my entire life, I didn't know the Lord's Prayer. I just didn't. Uh, And people around me were reciting like they knew it. And I thought to myself, I'm a terrible Christian. I don't know the Lord's Prayer. I don't know how to say the Lord's Prayer. I know how to pray. If they'd asked me to pray for a meal, I could have done that. If they'd asked me to, to pray that God would bless our day, I could have done that. But I didn't know the Lord's Prayer. And I thought to myself, what is this? And then the longer that I, we did it, we did that every single night. We recited the Lord's Prayer. By the end of boot camp, I did the Lord's Prayer. But I thought to myself, we, we completely and totally reject God throughout the day. Yet at the end of the day, we want to say some repeated recited prayer and would think that kind of covers everything and makes everything okay. And I realized that the majority of folks that I was there with, first of all, didn't know God. The majority of people that were there had a, had a skewed perception of God. And thirdly, everyone, everyone there misunderstood the purpose of the Lord's Prayer. So that's what we're going to take a look at today. This is often sometimes referred to as the Lord's Prayer. Uh, some people have tried to get kind of catchy and say, well, the Lord was teaching the apostles to pray, so it's really the apostles' prayer. I've never heard anybody call it the apostles' prayer. It's just called the Lord's Prayer. Now, we call it the Lord's Prayer. That's not found in Scripture anywhere. We just know that Jesus, the Lord, prayed the prayer. Now, also, we find that some churches kind of, again, misapply the Lord's Prayer and, and, and misappropriate it and use it in an incorrect way. And we'll take a look at the correct way to use the Lord's Prayer today um, and how it applies to the Christian life. Um, I heard the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my entire life last year. My wife tells me I shouldn't use phrases like the dumbest thing you've ever heard in your life. Uh, She should say, choose your words more wisely. Use words like foolish or silly or, uh, you know, inconceivable. That's a good uh, princess bride word, right? Oh, some of you got it. Most of you missed it. Sorry about that. Uh, but, But she said, don't say that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. But if anything qualifies for the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my entire life, it's this. Last summer the Pope made the decision to change the wording of the Lord's Prayer. No lie. Look, lead us not into temptation. The Pope says that God doesn't lead us into temptation, so we should change that to let us not fall into temptation. And so the Pope decided to change the Lord's Prayer. And I think to myself, do you know who said the Lord's Prayer? (laughs) Like, the Lord's Prayer was said by the Lord Jesus. You and I don't get to change it. Well, Jesus uh, misspoke. Jesus has never misspoken in all of his eternal existence. Absolutely not. So this qualifies as the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my entire life, right? We don't get to change the Lord's Prayer because it was said by the Lord himself. Uh, And so we don't get to to change the Bible because it's inconvenient for us or because we think it should say something differently. Um, And again, the Catholic Church has a history of misapplying the usage of the Lord's Prayer. We're gonna take a look at the appropriate usage of the Lord's Prayer today. If you're taking notes, and I highly recommend that you do, jot down some thoughts this morning as we cruise through this passage of Scripture. First of all, prayer is an exclusive privilege for believers. Not everyone has the right to pray to God. It's an exclusive privilege that's reserved only for God's children. If you take a look at this uh, passage of Scripture in verse number 9, Jesus says, After this manner, therefore, ye pray, Our Father. Not everyone gets to call God their father. Not everyone has the right to call upon God to pray to him. They just don't. By default, when you and I are born into this world, we have no right to come to God in prayer. We don't. The Bible says that when we're born into this world, we're born on the opposite side of God. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians that we were once far off from God. 
The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 that we were born the enemies of God automatically into this world because you and I were born into sin. Sin means God had a rule and you and I broke it. God has a plan and you and I have gone to our own plan. Uh, God has a way that we were supposed to go and went our own way. That God has a standard that he wanted us to meet and we have fallen short of that standard. And the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So in this room, you don't sit full of, uh, in a room full of a bunch of people who have their act together. You sit in a room full of sinners today. People who have fallen short of God's standard. And the Bible says that there's none righteous, no, not one. There's not a single person in this room that's never sinned before, this person here included. We're all in the same boat together. We've sinned against the holy God. And the Bible says that that puts us on the opposite sides of God, and that makes us the enemies of God. We're not automatically born into this world, into God's family. The Bible says that we're born as the children of wrath, the children of disobedience, the children of the devil, because our sin has separated us from God. Because God is perfect and he's holy and he's completely and totally without sin. We cannot come to him with our sin because our sin repels God. Just like two magnets with opposing uh, polarities. You push them together, one pushes the other away. As we come to God with our sin, it repels God from us. Because God is perfect, he's holy, he can't have anything to do with sin. And so you and I in our sinful condition cannot come to God with our prayers because we're not his children. And only God's children have the right to say, our Father which art in heaven. So then the question becomes, how do we become children of God? How do we get access to God? The Bible says we can't do it on our own, not by our own works of righteousness. I can't just be a better person. I can't just try harder. I can't just do good stuff and then maybe God will accept me. The Bible says that my good works are of no value whatsoever to God that my good works could not possibly earn me a spot in God's family, earn me a spot in heaven when I die, that my good works are worthless in God's sight. So there must be another way. Your sin must be paid for. How do we pay for our own sin? The Bible says that we must endure the wrath of God as payment for our sins. God's gonna punish you because of your sin. That's the only payment that you personally can make. That punishment that God has laid out, the Bible says in Romans chapter six, verse number 23, for the wages of sin is death. Because of my sin, because of your sin, we're all gonna die one day on this earth and then we'll stand before God in judgment and the payment for our sin is a second death the Bible calls hell. It's the worst news anybody in the world could get. Because of your sin, you have to go to hell to pay for your sin. But God loves you too much to allow you to go to hell. God loves you too much to allow you no other option than to pay for your own sin. So he sent his son Jesus to pay the price for you. Jesus came, he died on a cross to pay for my sins and to pay for yours. That anyone that would believe in Jesus Christ and put their faith in Jesus as their savior could be saved. And so when I was a nine-year-old boy, mind you, I've been in church my whole life, church attendance doesn't save anyone. But as a nine-year-old boy, I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and I said, I believe that I've sinned against God and I'm asking Jesus to forgive my sins and save me from my sins. And you know what he did? He saved me. I don't know if you guys were paying attention this morning in the first song we sang. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. That's who he is. Jesus is the savior of all of the world for those who would put their faith and trust in him. Have you been saved the Bible says that no man shall enter the kingdom of God unless he is born again. You can't get to heaven without being saved. I'm not concerned with where you grew up or what church that you went to or where you were baptized or anything along those lines. Have you been saved from your sins? If not, know this, when you die, you'll spend an eternity in hell and I don't want that to happen. I want you to be saved today. If you're not saved, you don't have access to prayer to God because of your sin. He's not your father You've actually made yourself his enemy. And today you can choose to put down your arms, stop fighting, hoist the white flag of surrender and say, I choose Jesus. You have that opportunity today. It'll be the best decision you've ever made in your entire life. And then you have access. The Bible says that once we put our faith in Jesus, we're now adopted into the family of God. You weren't born into the family of God, but you were adopted by your faith in Jesus Christ. 
And your adoption allows you to say, our father, our father. I'm now part of a family, a family of faith. Not based, the Bible says, not based on flesh and blood, not based on uh, the ethnicity that I was born into, not based into the uh, flesh and blood that I was born into, but born into a spiritual family where God is our father. Prayer is an exclusive privilege to believers, and Jesus gives us access to the Father. You don't have the right to go to God on your own. You don't have the right to approach the Father on your own, but Jesus Christ made a way. The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews, uh, Hebrews uh, chapter four is in your notes here. Seeing them, we have a great high, high priest that's passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession. You put your faith in Jesus, trust in it. For we have not a high priest, speaking of Jesus, which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Jesus knows exactly how you feel and was also tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. And here's what Hebrews 4.16 says. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. That's God's throne, we can come to it boldly that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What this means is that God the Father is the king and he's sitting on his throne and you and I have access to the throne itself. Did you know that in biblical times, someone were to burst into the throne room of the king and run up to the king and say, hey king, I need something. Can you give me a hand here? That was actually punishable by death. You couldn't just walk into the throne room. You had to be invited. You had to know somebody. And here's what the Bible says. Because you know somebody and his name is Jesus, you've now been invited into the throne room. And you don't have to make an appointment and you don't have to wait around till your number's called. They don't have one of those things where you pull a ticket and you wait and see if they're gonna call your, your number or not. No, no, you have access anytime you want to the throne room of God because of what Jesus has done. Jesus says, come on in. I want you to talk to my father. John chapter 14, he says, if you ask of my father anything in my name, I'll do it. Jesus gives us access to God the Father where we had no access before. But you see, sin creates a barrier to our prayers. The Bible says because of our sin, that keeps our prayers from even being heard. So we have to make sure that our life is right, our sin is right between us and God. This is another one of the reasons why unbelievers or those that are not part of the family of God cannot come to God in prayer because their sin has separated them from God. If you take a look at your, your notes here, Isaiah 59, verse number one, behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Neither is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities, your sin has separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity, your lips have spoken lies and your tongue hath muttered perverseness. Now, this goes for even those that are part of the family of God. If there's sin in your life that you're not willing to make right, the Bible says that God doesn't even hear your prayers. They don't make it above the ceiling because you're sinning against God and God has kind of turned off his ear to your prayers. And friend, that's a dangerous place to be. So for the saved or the unsaved, sin is a barrier to prayer. My prayers don't get heard because of my sinful condition. I've known people before who were not believers, were not Christians, who said, I was going through a really difficult time and I prayed that God would help me, and he did. God didn't hear your prayers. He might have acted graciously because God is gracious, but God did not act in accordance to your prayers because you are an enemy of his, and he has no obligation to hear or act upon your prayers. So the prayers of the unsaved man go completely and totally unanswered. The only prayer that God wants to hear from the unsaved man is a cry of repentance. I'm sorry I was wrong. Please forgive me of my sins and save me from my sins. God hears that prayer and acts on it 100% of the time, 100%. And Jesus says, if any man cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast him out. There's no one that cannot be saved. Is that right or did I do a double negative? There's nobody that can't. Everybody can be saved. How about that, right? Man, I'm terrible at English. There's no one that cannot be saved. I think that's right. Everybody can be saved. I'll just say it that way. Jesus says, if you come to me, I'm not gonna cast you out. Jesus saves. 
Psalm 66, 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. This morning in my Bible reading through the book of Proverbs, I read Proverbs 15, 29, the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. Friend, if there's sin in your life today, would you lay it down and never pick it up again? Would you repent of it and ask God to forgive you? Because if you continue to hang on to sin in your heart, in your life, your prayer is really a waste of time. I would never tell somebody that prayer is a waste of time, but if you are praying with sin in your heart, not willing to make it right, the Bible says that God doesn't even hear your prayers. So just repent and move on, move forward. Now, as we look at this passage of scripture this morning, we see in verse number five, Jesus starts off the verse and says, and when thou prayest, that tells us first of all that Jesus expects us to pray. Prayer is not something that like super Christians do. Prayer is not reserved for the spiritual elite. Everyone is expected to pray. Jesus expects us to, and he says, when you pray, here's how you should do it. Hey, here's some guidelines for when you pray. The book of 1 Thessalonians tells us that we should pray without ceasing. Don't ever stop praying. Pray all the time. And so Jesus, with an expectation that you and I should pray, gives us some guidelines on how we actually do it. In another passage of Scripture, we find the apostles who say to Jesus, hey, uh, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And Jesus breaks down the Lord's Prayer for him and explains it to him. As we look at this passage of Scripture again this morning, we see verse number five and six tells us, gives us some guidelines to first of all pray with humility. He says, don't be like the hypocrites. The word hypocrite gets thrown around uh, unfortunately many times today and people think, I'm trying to do the right thing but sometimes I, I make mistakes and they think that that's a hypocrite. That's not a hypocrite. That's someone who is just a regular dude trying to make it. Regular Christians stumble and fall, that's one thing. A hypocrite is someone who is a fake on purpose. And the, the Bible word that's used for hypocrisy means one who wears a mask. So on Sunday mornings, you open up the top drawer, you put on your Sunday mask, you come to church and you're just like, amen, praise the Lord, let's sing, I'm so glad to be here today. And you get in the car and you take off that mask and then the real you comes out the rest of the week. And it's anti-God, it's anti-Christ, it's selfish, self-centered, prideful, hateful, vindictive, ugly, vile, nasty, repugnant. But then on Sunday morning, you open up that top drawer and you grab your Sunday mask again and you're back. Amen. Praise the Lord. Good to see you. Looking forward to the preaching today. Oh man, glad to be in church. And then you get in the car and you take that mask off and you set it aside till next time. That's a hypocrite. And Jesus says, don't be a hypocrite. And let me just tell you, if that describes who you are, I'm gonna, I'm gonna help you with something today. It's really simple. Just repent. You know what repent means? It means to turn from. Just say, I don't want to live this way anymore. I want to be the real deal. I want to be legitimate. And hey, here's the thing. Who we call is a place where you can be authentic. I want you to get that. Nobody has some expectation of you that you would be super spiritual or you'd be somebody that you're not. All of us are sinners, and those of us that are saved are saved by the grace of God that are just trying to do better today than we did yesterday. There's no expectation of what you're supposed to be, so don't feel like you've got to fake it till you make it. And if you're struggling, just say, hey, I'm struggling. Somebody says, hey, man, how was your week? It's okay to say, I had a crummy week, but I'm just really glad to be here today. Nobody's going to judge you for that. It's being honest. So don't be a hypocrite. What did the hypocrites do, Jesus said? Oh, they want to receive praise for their long, elaborate, large prayers in public. Verse number five they love to pray standing in the synagogue and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Imagine you're driving down Waimani Street on your way to the mall one day and you see your pastor out here standing on the side of the road and I've just got my hands up like this. I'm praying to God. Just praying out there on the side of the street corner and you think, that's weird, but it's pastor. I guess he's just having some prayer time on the corner out there. And you go to the mall and you do your shopping and you have lunch, and you go to the food court and then you take your wife by Starbucks because you, you gotta take your wife by Starbucks. And uh, you get all your kids wrangled up and put in the car and all the car seats strapped and everybody clipped in. And then you come down that ramp by Long's over there and you cross the street and here three hours later, I'm still standing on the street corner praying. You'd be like, that's really weird. Why would somebody do something like that? Or you might be like, whoa, he's been praying for like three hours. 
Like, what do you talk to God about for three hours? What an amazing man of God that he would boldly stand on the street corner and pray for hours at a time. And Jesus says, congratulations, you got your reward. Don't do that. Don't be like that. Nobody nobody should be impressed by how long you pray, how much you pray, or where you pray. Jesus says, if you want the praise of men, go for it, but you're not gonna get anything from the Father from that. And he goes so far as to say, hey, when you pray, go find a private place to pray. Now, some people have taken this to the wrong extreme that we should never pray in public. Uh, For example, on Wednesday nights, we have groups that get together on Wednesday night and we pray together. That's not a violation of scripture, but the purpose of that is not so that we would get together to, to receive praise for our prayers in public. And so it's not saying that we shouldn't pray in public or uh, Daniel, when he came up and prayed for the opening of the service today, he was in violation of scripture because you shouldn't pray in public. That's not the idea of what Jesus is saying. He's just saying, don't use prayer as a way to, to uh, puff up your chest about how good you are. I've heard people say things before. Pastors sometimes say things like, I just can't start my day until I spend at least two hours in prayer on my knees before the Lord. And I think to myself, my soul. Like, really? Like, I'm good if I can get like, 15 minutes in, but like two hours. Like I would have to get up at 3 a.m. to like get on your level. And then I thought to myself, that just had the exact intended effect that Jesus says we shouldn't do. So we're not gonna boast or brag about our prayer. Pride ruins things. The Bible says that pride ruins our prayers. Proverbs Chapter six, verse number 16 says, these six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination. The word abomination means uh, they're so bad it makes God sick to his stomach. And what are they? First of all, a proud look. Now, again, some have called these the seven deadly sins. The Bible doesn't say that. Uh, The Bible actually says all sin is deadly. There's something for you, right? All sin leads to death. So these are not the seven deadly sins. We don't have to make sure that we don't commit these, otherwise we're gonna die or we're gonna enter greater condemnation or anything like that. The Bible just says, hey, here's seven things that the Lord hates. The very first one is pride. Pride, pride. And the Bible says that only by pride cometh contention. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride ruins our prayers. So we need to come to God with a spirit of humility. The whole purpose of prayer is coming to someone who say, and saying, I can't fix this, I need your help. That's the whole purpose of prayer. And the spirit of prayer should be a spirit of humility. Pride also corrupts our motives and we ask for the wrong things because we're filled with pride. I don't know about you, but I'll confess that there's been times in my life where my, my prayer list was a gimme list from God. Hey, pay my rent, pay my bills, fix my car, help my kids to behave, and help my wife to be nicer to me. What kind of prayer list is that? It's terrible. But you know what? Pride motivated those things. And so Jesus says, don't pray like that. I'm gonna give you a guideline on how to pray. Verse number seven, he says this, but when you pray, use not vain repetitions or meaningless Uh, repeating statements as the heathen do for they think they shall be heard from their much speaking. So prayer is not even about saying the right words, but it's really about sharing your heart. So many times newer Christians, they say, well, I don't really know how to pray. Prayer is talking to God. Can you talk to another human being? If the answer to that is yes, then you can talk to God the exact same way. There's no special words that you have to say. There's no words that unlock it. Uh, There's no uh, position that your body has to be in. I can only pray on my knees with my eyes closed. Not the case at all. If you can talk, then you can pray. And prayer is just simply talking to God. We don't try to sound spiritual when we pray to God. I don't know if you've ever heard somebody pray before and they say pray something like this. O thou merciful and gracious heavenly Father, we beseech thee therefore before thy throne of grace tonight and this hallowed eve, we bring before thee our our deep, deep, vile iniquities, lustful affections. And you're like, what are they talking about? Like, I understood like every third word that he said. The rest of it was just nonsense to me. And, 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 And here's the worst part. People hear prayers like that and they go, whew, I could never pray. No, no, 
no, prayer is just talking to God. We don't have to try to sound spiritual about it. Some of the best prayer time I've ever had with God is when I go to God and I say, God, I've completely and totally wrecked this and I need your help. Otherwise, I'm gonna wreck the rest of my life. Please help. And God says, I hear that prayer. I'm gonna act on your behalf. I'm gonna do what needs to be done because I'm your father and I'm gonna help you fix this. Prayer is not using big words. Prayer is not making sure that we do it right. It's not about trying to sound overly spiritual. It's about communicating our heart to God. That's why we don't use someone else's words. There are historically uh, prayer books, you know, prayers of the pilgrims and stuff like that that you could get. And I think it might be helpful to see how other people prayed or the types of things that they pray or someone wrote out in a prayer journal, something that they wrote. It might be beneficial to read something like that, but I'm not gonna pray somebody else's words. That's not what prayer is. He says, don't use vain repetitions as the heathens do. Don't just say the same things over and over and over. Talk to God from your heart. We don't memorize someone else's prayer. In this case here, this was the Lord's prayer. This was Jesus's prayer to teach us how to pray. We're not supposed to memorize this prayer and then recite it back to God. God doesn't wanna hear that. And it's interesting, the one prayer that people memorize and say in a meaningless or vain way is the one prayer that Jesus precedes by saying, don't repeat this meaninglessly. But yet people repeat it meaninglessly. For example, if you were to go to the Catholic Church and you were to go to confession, which is an unbiblical practice, and you go and you tell a priest the sins that you've done, he says, your sins be forgiven you, which he does not have the power to do. And then he says, your penance, or the way that you make up for the wrong that you've done is by saying, 10 Our Fathers and 10 Hail Marys. And you're supposed to get a little necklace where you count the beads, the number of times that you've actually prayed that prayer so that you can have forgiveness of sins. Everything about that practice from beginning to end is 100% unbiblical, not the least of which is Jesus says, don't repeat the same prayer over and over in a meaningless way. But this is the one prayer that we take and repeat in a meaningless way. Don't do it. This is a guideline to follow. This is not a prayer to memorize. Don't use somebody else's words. And again, if you listen to somebody else pray, don't just start saying the same thing that somebody else prays. That's their heart to God. And God wants you to just share your heart. And God loves to hear our prayers. He wants to hear our prayers. Also, we don't just repeat the same thing every time. Prayer is not just my my special words that I say every single time. I remember hearing my dad pray. And again, my dad was a first generation Christian. I honestly don't know that anybody ever taught my dad how to pray. I think he probably just copied everybody else. But I remember to this day, to this day, my dad's prayers. Lord, thank you for the blessings that you've given us. Lord, find those that are lost and help them to be saved. And lead, guide, and direct us. In Jesus' name, amen. I remember that to this day. You know why? Because that's the only prayer I ever heard my dad pray. Ever. Ever. And my dad, I love my dad to death. And my dad's grown a lot as a Christian since I was a kid. But when he was here, he prayed for the offering. And he closed the offering by saying, lead, guide, and direct us. In Jesus' name, amen. I thought to myself, man, you've been praying that for as long as I've been alive. And here's the thing. It's not to say that my dad's a terrible Christian because he repeats that same phrase again. I'm just saying, if that's all your prayers are, is just repeating the same things, you're, not, you're missing out on the purpose of prayer. All of us have things that we go back to. If you ever prayed with somebody before who they uh, always say, our father, our father, our father, our father, Lord God, Lord God, Lord God, and things like that. That's the idea that God doesn't want us to do. We don't have to, to go to, to him with special words or special phrases. I mean, think about it this way. If you were talking to, uh, to me and you said, uh, Anthony, uh, I really like your help, Anthony, on this thing that I got, Anthony. And Anthony, there's tomorrow, Anthony, this uh, thing that Anthony, and be like, stop. Like, what are you trying to say, you know? But sometimes we do that to God. God, I pray that you help me, God, with this situation, God. And Lord God, I pray that you, God, would uh, guide me, God, and, and guide this. And whoa, 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 stop. Take a breath. Get your thoughts together. And just say what's on your heart. And again, if that's you, I'm not making fun of you. or I'm not trying to. And now everybody on Wednesday night in our connect groups is going to be hyper aware of what they say. <laughs> that's not the point. Not the point. 
just, just chill. Prayer is just talking to God. That's it, simple as that. He wants us to share our heart. Don't repeat the same words over and over. Now, prayer is communication with God himself. Again, verse number eight says that your father knows what things you have need of before you ask. Here's the thing, God already knows what you're gonna say before you pray anyways. And so then that leaves the question to, why should I pray then if he already knows what I'm gonna say? Because God wants time with you. God wants you to carve out time out of your busy schedule that is just for communication with him. Again, God could give you everything that you want. He wants to spend time with you though. And he wants you to make time for him, to say that he's important enough to carve out 10, 15, five minutes out of your day to spend with him. God wants your heart more than anything in the world. Again, in the same passage of scripture, Jesus talks about our giving. He talks about our fasting and he talks about our praying. All three of those point to what's important to my heart. When I say I'm willing to carve out my time to pray, I say my time is important, but I choose to use, give it to God. When I prepare a tithe, an offering, or a first fruit gift to God, I say my finances and resources are important to me, but I carve out part of that that belongs to God. When I fast, I'm willing to say I'm going to skip a meal or multiple meals in a row because I want my spirit to be completely connected with the spirit of God. And it's just taking the things that are really important to you and carving them out and making God first in every way. As we dissect the Lord's Prayer, starting in verse number nine, after this manner, pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. First thing we see here is that prayer is worship. Prayer is worship. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now the word worship means to lie down, face forward, prostrate and prostrate in front of. Just like you would bow before a king is the word worship. And when we pray to God, we don't have to get down on a face forward position. We can pray standing up, but our heart is in a face down position before God recognizing his awesomeness, his majesty, and the holiness of his name. To pray to anyone or to anything is to ascribe worth and power to the object of our prayers. Hey, if I pray to the universe, then I automatically assume that the universe has the power to answer my prayers. If I pray to the sky, then I believe that the sky has the ability to answer my prayers. If I pray to an idol or a statue on a shelf, then I automatically assume that that statue has the power to answer the prayers that I have. If I decide to burn incense in front of a statue and to leave food out for it, then I assume that that statue or whatever it represents has the power to answer whatever I have. And so you going to God in prayer is proof that you believe that God is able and God is worthy. That's worship. It's a big deal. This is also one of the reasons why we pray to God and to God alone. That's it, because only he is worthy of our prayers and only he has the power to answer our prayers. This is critical. This is why we don't pray to saints. This is why we don't pray to dead relatives. This is why we don't pray to statues or to the universe or anything else. We pray to God and God alone. The practice of praying to saints is a Catholic practice that's founded really in witchcraft and idolatry, if you wanna be honest about it. And, and please understand for just a moment, this is not a, you know, bash the Catholic Church message. This is, a, this is where false religion has gotten prayer wrong, and we wanna make sure that we keep it right. For the Catholic Church, they have patron saints that are assigned to certain things. Uh, for example, uh, St. Anthony, which is, my name's Anthony. Uh, don't call me St. Anthony, but Anthony. Uh, St. Anthony of Padua is the uh, patron saint for lost people or lost things. So if you lose your car keys, you can pray to St. Anthony and he'll help you find your car keys. It's the idea behind it, right? Uh, and so, believe it or not, there's charts online that tell you, hey, if you're looking for this, this is who the patron saint is that can pray uh, with that, and again, according to the catechism of the Catholic Church, they would say that these uh, intercessors, which are saints or relatives which have died, have the ability to pray on your behalf because of their proximity to Jesus. 
In other words, these people are closer to Jesus than you are, so you can pray through them. The Bible says no. You pray to God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son. That's it. So we don't pray through anyone. And, and again, uh, you have people like St. Peter, who is the patron saint of popes, fishermen, fish uh, mongers, sailors, bakers, harvesters, butchers, glassmakers, carpenters, shoemakers, clockmakers, blacksmiths, potters, uh, bridge builders, and cloth makers. So St. Peter is going to be incredibly busy. Also, if you think that he keeps the big book at the pearly gates, the dude's super busy, right? But the idea that we would pray through that, and, and the one, my favorite was uh, St. Philip, who's the patron saint of special forces and pastry chefs, I think. <laughs> special forces, pastry chefs. I don't get it. So this group over here is making sure that the yeast rises and that the, the donuts are good to go. These guys are here making sure that they don't get their heads blown off. Okay, I guess... Uh, Whatever. Again, the idea that we would pray through someone else to get to God the Father just is a, a crazy thought to begin with. And again, if we pray to anyone or anything, it describes worth and power to the object of our prayers. We can even go so far as to say this, we never find a prayer to Jesus or to the Holy Spirit in Scripture, although they play a critical role in prayer, but we see prayer to God the Father himself. We never even see any of the apostles who were walking with Jesus himself pray to him we see them pray to God the Father. Anytime in the New Testament we see someone pray, they pray to God the Father on the authority of Jesus Christ. We never see the Holy Spirit even prayed directly to anywhere in Scripture or the Holy Spirit even directly addressed. So it's not to say that, you know, if, if somebody prays and they say, uh, you know, Holy Spirit fall and Holy Spirit work and move in this place, that they're unbiblical. It's just the idea that we pray to God the Father, that he would send the Holy Spirit to work and move in hearts. Again, we need to remember the object of our prayer because prayer is worship. Next, we see the prayer is submission. Verse number 10, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. God, we just want your plans to take effect. God, we want your will to be done. Just the way that things run in heaven at your command, we want the same way things to be on earth that things would run according to your plan because God's plans are always perfect. God's plans are always greater than our plans, always. And when it comes to prayer being a part of submission and allowing God's way to rule, we need to understand that prayer isn't changing God's mind, but it's often God changing my heart. I don't get to force God to do anything. I remember I was a nine-year-old boy. Again, I grew up in church and I'd just been saved at nine years old. My grandmother got lung cancer and she died. And I remember I prayed really hard that my grandmother wouldn't die. I prayed that the cancer would go away. I prayed that she would be healed and I saw her health continue to decline. And as a nine-year-old boy, I couldn't figure out why God didn't hear my prayers. Why God didn't do what I told him to do. Why God wouldn't listen to me. And we have to understand that prayer is not bossing God around because if I get to call all the shots, God isn't God, I am. And if everything I pray comes to fruition, then God doesn't have a plan. He's waiting to find out what my plan is so he can put it into place. And prayer just doesn't work that way. And so some people would say, well, then why should I pray if God's not gonna do anything? We've seen multiple times in scripture where God changes what he was planning to do because of the prayers of his people. And the book of James tells us that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Prayer gets stuff done but please do not misunderstand prayer that I can just tell God what to do and he's automatically gonna do it for me. Jesus says here in his model prayer, God, your way's perfect and I just want your will to be done in this situation. There are times where we received a medical diagnosis that we thought one of our children was gonna pass away. And you know what we said? God, we want you to spare the life of our baby girl, but if you choose to take her, we trust your, your way. We know your ways are perfect. We trust you. My daughter, Tallulah, when she was first born, she had some movement problems and some uh, neurological problems that they, they had found in her, and they thought that she might have cerebral palsy. The doctors was telling us, hey, it really looked like your daughter has cerebral palsy. Okay. You know what we did? We prayed to God. We prayed that this diagnosis would be wrong, but if it is right, we want you to be glorified through it. We trust you. And so we prayed just like the Bible says, we made our requests known unto the Lord, and then we said, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the model that we have of submission. Next, we see that prayer is an expression of daily dependence. Verse number 11, 
Give us this day our daily bread. It's okay to ask God for the things that you need. But again, if my, my prayer time is just special request time from Anthony, that's not really the spirit of prayer. God wants to hear what you need. And notice he says, give us this day our monthly bread. Give us this day the bread that's gonna last us for the next six months. Nope, give me what I need for today. And you know what the idea with that is? Tomorrow I'm gonna come back for what I need for tomorrow. Because prayer is a daily dependence upon God. I need you. Hello, it's Monday, I need you. Hey, it's Tuesday, God, it's me again, I still need you. Hey God, it's Wednesday, it's Anthony again, still in need. You know why? Because I get what I need for a 24 hour period, for a day. It doesn't mean you can't pray more than twice in 24 hours, it just means that you continually come back for the things that you need. It's a daily dependence upon the things of God. But it's important to notice the order that Jesus teaches us to pray in because we have to seek God's face before we seek his hand. I need to spend time in worship of God and recognition of who he is and the willingness to submit to him before I begin asking for what I want. Instead of a God, give me this, God, give me that, God, give me this. Oh yeah, thanks for being awesome, amen. No, I'm gonna seek God's face before I ask for things from his hand. But God is a good father who gives us exactly what we need. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Hey, look, if you have a need, God's not gonna leave you hanging. If, if you need something from God, he's gonna provide for you. He's gonna meet your needs. Jesus in another passage of scripture says, how many of you, if your kid asked for bread, you'd give him a rock? You wouldn't do that. How much more is your heavenly Father gonna give you the things that you need? God's not sitting around with his arms crossed going, oh, this is gonna be fun to watch. I'm gonna make his life rough. And again, this is why it's so important that we, we teach our children the character of God because we learn so much of who God is from our earthly fathers. Think about that. It's a heavy statement for you dads. If your dad here today, understand it's your job to teach your kids what God looks like by your actions. Because when we say your heavenly father, he's just like your dad except he's in heaven. Oh, let's... Pretty heavy. Yeah, it is. That's why we as dads got to make sure that we reflect the goodness and glory of God in our own lives. But he's a good father. He's going to provide for you exactly what you need. Verse number eight here tells us he knows what you need before you ever even ask. He's going to meet your needs. He's going to provide for you because he's a loving father who cares for his children. Next we see in verse number 12, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Prayer is repentance and restoration. Prayer makes things right with God. That's the important thing. Prayer is a time where I confess my sin before God. God, would you forgive me for being short with my wife? I've already asked her to forgive me, but I'm gonna ask for your forgiveness as well. God, would you forgive me for that dude that I was so angry with in traffic today? God, would you forgive me for my coworker who I'm terrified to share my faith with? I know they're going to hell and I don't have the guts to tell them. Would you forgive me for that? God, would you forgive me for skipping my Bible reading two days in a row because I just didn't want to do it. God, would you forgive me for getting into arguments on Facebook with people that I don't know about stuff that really doesn't matter? <laughs> Prayer is a time of repentance. And repentance means to turn directions. Repentance is a change of mind, which results in a change of heart, which results in a change of action and a change of direction. That's repentance. And prayer is a time for that, for me to go through my mental list of everything that's not right between me and God. And then I need to go through my mental list of everything that's not right between me and another person. Because he says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I need, to for, I need your forgiveness, God, for all the wrong that I've done, but I need your help forgiving the other people for the things that they've done to me. And this is not a message on forgiveness. I'm just gonna throw this in at no cost to you today. You don't have to wait for somebody to apologize to forgive them. That's a choice you get to make. I choose to set you free from what you've done to me. And you might not be sorry. You might even be glad that you've done what you did to hurt me. But I choose to forgive you. I'm not gonna let you have power over me. I'm not gonna let what you've done to wrong me ruin my spirit or steal my joy. I'm not gonna do it. And so I choose to forgive. 
You don't have to wait on somebody to ask for forgiveness or to, for them to prove that they're really uh, gonna change their ways. No, 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 you need to let that go and say, God, I need your forgiveness and I need your help to forgive this person who's harmed me. It's powerful, powerful. Prayer makes things right with God first and foremost. Created me a clean heart. Oh God, renew a right spirit in me. And then prayer also adjusts my hearts toward others. It changes the way I view my fellow man and the people who've done wrong against me. And I realize that just the same way that I failed God, there's other people who have failed me. And just the same way that I want forgiveness for me, I wanna give forgiveness to other people. What's the pattern that I have for that? It's the pattern of God's forgiveness to me. He said, well, the person that's done me wrong, they don't deserve it. Yeah, you don't deserve God's forgiveness either. Well, the person's wrong haven't proved yet that they're really gonna change their ways. Yeah, you haven't proved that you're gonna change your ways either. And so we forgive the same way that God's forgiven us, the Bible says. And prayer is a time to do that. And I'm telling you this, if you're carrying over somebody that's done you wrong, prayer is a great time to release all of that and say, God, I choose to forgive them and seek restoration with you. The Bible says, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. That means there's certain people that you're not gonna be able to have peace with, but on your end of the bargain, there needs to be a clear conscience. Hey, look, I don't have a single person in the world that I would consider an enemy, nobody. I don't have anybody that I have ill will towards, hard feelings towards, or wish bad things upon at all. I promise you that. Now, there are people that I know that hate my guts, (laughs) but I got no problem with them. You know why? Because all the wrong that they've done, hurtful things they've said about me, lies that they've told about me, I've chosen to forgive that and move on. I got no problem with them. And if I saw them tomorrow at Walmart, I'd give them a hug and tell them that I love them and hope to see them again soon. I got no, got no enemies. Can't afford to live like that. Because Jesus goes on uh, in verse number, um, let's see, uh, verse number 14. And says this, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So that my bitterness and anger and unwillingness to forgive another person is actually gonna keep God from forgiving me. Oh, that's deep water, folks. I don't wanna go there. Best you just give it to God, move on. Next, prayer is seeking protection. Verse number 13, leads not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God, would you help me to keep my eyes fixed upon you? The Bible says we should walk with our eyes straight ahead, not to the left or to the right. God, would you help me to keep blinders on my eyes this week and just keep me laser beam focused on you? There's gonna be things coming my way this week that's gonna get me off track. There's gonna be temptation that comes my way that I don't need any part of. God, would you just help me to keep my eyes and my heart fixed upon you? Again, God God doesn't want to trip you up. God's not trying to get you to fail but we can pray for God's protection around us. Pray that we don't go places we shouldn't go, say things we shouldn't say, do things we shouldn't do, spend time with people that are gonna get us off track. God, would you just help me stay on track here? I need your protection around me. Psalm 121 verses five says, the Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is the shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. God's gonna look out for you. You know why? Because you're his son, because you're his daughter. He's gonna make sure that you have everything that you need. He's gonna provide for you. He's gonna protect you, but you also need to walk in wisdom and make sure that you stay protected. I need to stay in a place where I'm not going to get myself into trouble. I need to make sure that I'm not spending time in a situation where I'm going to fall into sin. I can't pray against temptation and then put myself in the middle of it. I need to protect myself and pray for God's protection as well. Next we see verse number 13 that prayer is a recognition of God's sovereignty. For thine is the kingdom and power and glory forever. Amen. God, this life isn't really about me. It's really about your kingdom. God, this life really isn't about me. It's really all about you. God, it's not about what I get from this life. It's about how I can reflect your glory in this life. It's a recognition that God's in charge of everything from beginning to end. And I just need to trust him. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. How long? Forever. Look, before you and I existed, you know what existed? God and his glory. 
You know what's gonna exist after you and I are dead and gone from this earth, God and his glory? You know what's gonna last for all of eternity? God and his glory. That's really what this is about. You and I are just a little blip on the radar of life. The Bible says our life is like a vapor. It appears for a short while and vanisheth away. Really quick, life. But you know what that life is? It's an opportunity to reflect the glory of God. It's an opportunity to live for something that matters, to live for something that counts, to live with an eternal mindset, to reflect God's glory. And prayer recognizes that at the end of the day, it's really just about God and his glory. Jesus ends the Lord's prayer with the word, amen. The word amen means let it be so. The word amen means also we agree. Sometimes when uh, folks will be preaching, you'll hear people say amen. That means that was good. That was truth. Let that be so. If I say that Jesus Christ is the savior of mankind, even though we don't deserve it, you could say amen. That'd be a good thing. He closes the prayer with let these things be so. I remember as a kid, uh, I would pray at night in my bed before I went to bed. And, And again, my parents were just really doing the best that they knew how. They'd tell me, hey, before you go to bed, make sure you brush your teeth and say your prayers. Like, say your prayers, like in quotation marks, your prayers. Because there was evidently a thing you were supposed to say before you went to bed. And it was, now I'll lay me down to sleep. Pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, pray the Lord my soul to take. Amen. That's what I prayed every single night as a kid before I realized what prayer really actually is. And so I was supposed to brush my teeth and say my prayers before I went to bed. And sometimes I would pray that, and I, I would pray, now I'll lay me down to sleep. Pray the Lord my soul to keep. Can I have basketball practice tomorrow? I think I have basketball practice tomorrow. No. What is tomorrow? Tomorrow's Wednesday. No, tomorrow's church. I don't have basketball. And I would get off track. And then I would be about to fall asleep, and I remember, oh, I didn't say amen. I didn't actually finish my prayer, and I didn't say amen. My prayer's not going to come to pass because I didn't say amen. And I thought that amen was like the secret word at the end that had to be said to make sure that all your prayers come to pass. That's not the idea. The word amen just means let these things be so. And so as he closes the Lord's Prayer, he says, and let these things be so. Now, quick biblical principles on prayer. I got eight of them. First of all, pray all the time. Prayer is not something that you carve out time on the calendar for specifically and only. I have a special time of prayer in the morning, usually before I go to the gym, spend time in prayer, spend time in the Word, go to the gym. But I don't just pray at 5.15 a.m. every morning. I pray at 5.15 a.m. every morning through a prayer list, and I have a plan for prayer. Then throughout the day, I pray, and I get text messages from people saying, hey, I got this thing at work. Could you pray for me? I stop what I'm doing, and I pray for them. I got on my calendar alerts set up when people have things like job interviews or a difficult conversation with a coworker, and I have an alarm that goes off on my phone to pray for this person. And so pray all the time. Be constantly in prayer. If you have a long commute, it's a great opportunity to pray, preferably with your eyes open if you're driving. Um, You know, if you're, you know, get extra time throughout the day. Pray all the time. Next, pray about everything. Um, Hey, I prayed for parking spots at the mall before, you know? I mean, pray about everything. There's nothing too small to pray for. And just make everything a matter of automatic prayer. There's been times where people say, hey, what do you think about this situation? I said, ooh, haven't had time to pray about it. I'll tell you what I think right away, but I'd probably want to pray about that before I give you an answer about what I really think about that because I want to pray about everything. Now, again, you know, if you're praying on what color car you should buy, if you should get the white one or the blue one, things like that, are those things necessarily matter prayer? I don't know. For, for my son, uh, you know, he plays basketball. I've never one time ever prayed that my team would win. <laughs> you know, it's just at the end of the day, I don't think God cares about things like that. I pray that my son would, would play in a way that gives God glory. I pray that at the end of the day, he'd be able to say that he did his best. He'd be willing to be a good teammate and reflect uh, God's love towards other people. I pray those types of things. I don't pray for a victory. But I make everything a matter of prayer. Next, pray with purpose. If we just sit down and try to pray everything that's on our brain, we might get through maybe two or three minutes. But I would encourage you to have a prayer list. Maybe keep it in the back of your Bible or wherever you do your devotions in the morning. And have a list of people that you're praying for or situations that you're praying over or things that you want to bring before God. And if if somebody says, hey, could you pray about this? I'll always put it on my prayer list. 
For those who fill out connection cards on Sunday, I always take whatever's on that connection card and put it on my prayer list for Monday morning and pray for it throughout the week. And I want to have some manner of purpose when I pray. Otherwise, I'm just going to pray, uh, God, uh, bless my kids. Uh, God, bless my wife. God, uh, bless our church. Uh, amen. No. God, would you protect the purity of my children until the day that they walk down the wedding aisle so that they won't have premarital sex? God, would you keep my children from pornography? God, would you keep my children from the dangers of alcohol and drug abuse? God, would you prepare for my children a spouse one day that is also a lover of Jesus? God, would you help? And I get just down the list. Specific, planned, prayer list. Pray with purpose. Next, pray with others. We see in the book of Acts, the early church, what did they do? They got together, they studied the Bible, they prayed together. And so it might be awkward to pray with others, especially if you've never done it before, but you should do it. If you have children, you should pray with your kids before they go to bed at night. It's going to be awkward the first time you do it, but just do it anyways. If you're married, you should pray with your spouse on a regular basis. Maybe every night before you go to bed, sometimes throughout the day. Pray with other people. If you say, well, I don't really have anybody to pray with, great. Come to a small group on Tuesday night or Wednesday night or Friday night if you're a single adult. We'll have time to pray together with other Christians. Next, stop what you're doing and pray with others. You see somebody at church and they say, hey, I've got this thing coming up this week. If you could pray for that. Hey, let's stop what we're doing right now and pray for it. And you say, well, that would be weird. It doesn't have to be. It's only weird if you make it weird, right? Hey, I got this thing going up. Hey, let's pray about that right now. Hey, I got this coworker I invited to church. Hey, let's pray for them right now. And just make it constantly not a weird, not an awkward thing to pray with people. You see me just about every Sunday out here on the sidewalk praying with somebody. He says, hey, I've got this coming up. Could you pray with me? Yeah, let's pray right now. So stop what you're doing. Spend time praying with people. Something happens in your house. Hey, let's stop right now and pray about that. Hey, this teacher did something that was unfair to our child. Let's stop for just a second and pray for them right now. Let's just stop and have a word of prayer for that teacher and for this situation and that we would reflect the glory of God through this situation. Man, make prayer a matter of everything that you do. Ask other people how you can pray for them. Hey, man, how can I pray for you this week? oh, I've got this, this thing coming up I could really use some prayer for. And sometimes people say, I don't know. I don't have, any, I don't have anything to pray for this week. Great, then I'm just gonna pray that God will continue to bless his life, bless your life, and keep your eyes upon him. Man, can't go wrong praying that for somebody's life for sure. Ask people how you can pray for them. Because prayer is not just about me and what I can get. Prayer is about my heart towards others and for others and on behalf of others. Next, when you pray for people, tell them. And again, this is not to, to be proud or to be boastful. This is to be an encouragement. This is to encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ. Hey, I prayed for you this week. Sometimes I'll text somebody and say, hey, I know you had that, that meeting with that uh, coworker this morning at 10 a.m. How did that go? I was praying for that. Sometimes I'll, I'll send people a text message or write a postcard and say, hey, prayed for you this morning. I just want them to know they were thought of and I spent time bringing your name before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords in his throne room this morning because you matter to me. Prayer is a way to, to love and encourage other people. And lastly, make prayer a part of your normal, everyday life. Man, just like I wouldn't leave the house without brushing my teeth, I'm not gonna leave the house without praying. Just like I eat every day, I'm gonna pray multiple times a day. Can you imagine saying, uh, what'd you have for lunch today? Oh, I, I ate last Thursday. I haven't haven't eaten since then. What's wrong with you? Good grief. Now, that would be nice, a little bit uh, tight on the pants sometimes, but uh, by the same token, you wouldn't say, well, I, I prayed last Thursday, and uh, you know, it's been two or three minutes in prayer. I think I'm good. No, no, no. You need to pray all the time. And Jesus has given us a pattern to follow. Let me tell you this. If you don't know the Lord's Prayer, please don't memorize it. It was never the point. Now, you can memorize it because it's Scripture. You can memorize it because it's the Word of God. Uh, you can memorize it because Jesus said it. But don't memorize it to say it. It was never the point. Jesus gives us a framework, a pattern to follow, a way that we should pray. And, oh, follow the principles of this. Have a plan. Most important thing in the world, if you're here today and you're not sure that you're a child of God, none of this matters because you don't have access to pray to God anyhow. You need to know for sure before you leave here today that you're saved. 
being saved, being a child of God is not a, some class you have to go through. It's not, some, it's not joining our church. It's not becoming a Baptist. It's not making a commitment that you're gonna come back every week. Being saved is saying, I need Jesus to save me from my sins. I don't know for sure when I die, I'm going to heaven. And you need to take care of that today. For those of us that are children of God, for those of us that can call God our Father, let's spend some time with him this week praying. And I always tell people, when you start off praying, maybe you're not in a good habit of praying right now and you wanna start. Start with something that is reasonable. I'm gonna pray two minutes every day. And if you're, you say, well, what's two minutes gonna do? It does a lot more than zero minutes, I guarantee you that. You start something small. When I see people fail, they set unrealistic goals. I'm gonna pray for 45 minutes every single day. Don't, don't set that goal. Now, if you make it 45 minutes and you set a goal of two and you make it 45, hey, you know, under promise and over deliver, that's okay. But don't set yourself up for failure. Just start something reasonable. Hey, I'm just gonna pray two minutes every day. Maybe before I leave the house, maybe first thing when I wake up, maybe before my feet ever even hit the floor, I'm gonna spend two minutes in prayer. That would be awesome. But the important thing, spend time with your father this week. He really wants to hear what's on your heart. And more than that, he wants to help you day by day as you seek him. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.